Hi listeners, welcome to episode 43 of Define Normal, a podcast for everything and nothing is normal. I'm your host Shelby and this week I'm joined by my friend Audie. Audie and I recently met through mutual friends and he was telling me a bit about his story and I had to have him on the podcast. If you are a listener of Define Normal, you've definitely heard a few episodes about different Black experiences. I share a lot about my experience and I've invited others to share theirs. So for my last episode of Black History Month, I have invited Adi to share his experience. So to give a little bit of a context, what I thought was really interesting is how we related, but also how we didn't. So Adi grew up in a predominantly white environment in Bethesda, Maryland. He attended boarding school in PA, um, went to Northwestern for undergrad, and is currently at Yale getting his MBA. I also grew up in a predominantly white environment, but like the environment wasn't as prestigious. So I wanted to hear his experience growing up on the East Coast, being in these, what I would say, elite environments, and how that shaped his sense of self and his relationship with Black people and finding community. Adi, welcome to Define Normal. Thanks for having me here today, Shelby. It's uh, really great to be in the podcast with you. A little bit about myself, maybe I'll do like the 30,000 foot view and then you can narrow in on things as we move forward. Adi Adeshoya grew up in Bethesda, Maryland. Nice little town, probably about 20 minutes outside of D.C. in Montgomery County. I was born to my mother, Sheila, and my dad, Adi, I'm a junior. They met back in the 80s. So funnily enough, actually, one thing about their little story that I do love is that my mom actually asked my dad to marry her. It's the other traditional way that uh, tends to go around. Potentially could have backfired on them because they were divorced three years later. So <laughs> maybe... <laughs> Don't get any ideas. Yeah. <laughs> maybe my mom got a little excited, shot got a little early. But they had me. And yeah, grew up in Bethesda, Maryland. Went to school, private schools around the area, all the way up till ninth grade. And then uh, my mom kind of decided that it'd probably be a pretty good idea for me to go to boarding school. Uh, my dad had gone to boarding school as well, thought it would be something I would enjoy. Went, absolutely adored it, made some best friends in my life thus far. Um, and it's really interesting because it's a, you're given a lot of freedom early on, uh, but at the same time you're in an environment where there's high expectations of you. So you have to manage that a little bit earlier on in your life than you would probably think you would have to. And overall, I think it was very beneficial. You're kind of in your really developmental teenage years, and you have the opportunity to like, live with all your best friends, and it's, it's really nice, right? You're going through all these teenage hormones, you guys are living together on the weekends, but it's also a school where, it's since everyone lives together, it's pretty hard to do anything that's like classically teenage, so you're not really being able to throw parties, or say, or like, what are those like, classic bonfires, or whatever. Um, so I remember there would be literally games on the weekends of like 50 versus 50 capture the flag of just like really like cute, innocent stuff that like, that's not stereotypical high school stuff, I feel like. So like it actually kept some of your innocence. It did. It was, I was very innocent. So I did not drink or like smoke weed or anything until my senior year. Wow. Okay. We'll get into that. Cause that's, that's like an interesting dynamic of boarding school that I wasn't aware of. Okay, so you described your upbringing a little bit, but like, talk to me about how being black played into those experiences. Like, what are what's the demographic of Bethesda? Like, it's near DC, so yeah. like, what's the vibe there? So, well, straight up, Bethesda's pretty much an all-white town. I grew up in a neighborhood where I was not only the only kid, but I was only, well, I was the only kid, but I was also the only child of color. So, and all my friends, because I went to school, it was probably about like 30 minutes away, all of in that area. So I actually spent being an only child as well, I spent a lot of time by myself. And my mom, as I said, they got divorced, so I was uh, in her care. It's interesting, my mom and I just like spent a lot of time together. And she was very much like a helicopter mom though, and like very much like in every aspect of my life, like wanted to know everything. But it was good, it was really good. And she taught me, and I didn't really realize it growing then, but as I started to get older, she was teaching me some like the social nuances of life, and she was always really good with people, and like knew how to get things, and like knew how to like make people feel good, and always knew how to press the right buttons for people. And uh, super social butterfly, people always loved her, but she was like super strict, right? Um, and kind of conservative, 
now that I think back on it. Conservative in what way? I don't view myself as being raised in a conservative family, but if like my mom had to fill out a survey, she would she would probably check conservative values okay. like on the books. Um, and I don't even think she would recognize that until she's actually checking the boxes yeah. herself. But like I said, my mom's also white. Or maybe I didn't say that. Before. You didn't say that. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, pretty, an, that's probably, an interesting that's nuance. A, it's probably a pretty important thing to say. Um, my dad's Ni- or was Nigerian. Um, my mom, German and Native American. She had grown up in D.C. Came from a little bit of a rough neck of the woods. Um, my dad came from like a very wealthy, well-to-do Nigerian family. But it's interesting. Race as a verbal, outspoken thing was never like, I would say at any point brought to the fore in our conversations, at least below the age of like 13, for sure. But nonetheless, my mother placed me in environments where I would be the other, but she knew that by me being the other, I would be developing a certain set of skills that would very much serve me well later on in life. So she was strategic. Yes, she was very strategic. And it's very funny. She she's one of those, she has two sisters. Um, and one of them is younger, has two kids. They're 18 now. So like, as I had, I was always like four years ahead of them. So like my mom would always try to be giving advice downward yeah. to them just because I had just gone through it, right? And my mom would be like, why aren't you like sending them to this school? Or like, why aren't you like having them do these summer activities or things like that? Yeah. And like thinking back to it, and when I would ask her, like, why are you, like, why do you care? Like, just let them do whatever they want. She's like, no, Adi, like, there is a certain path that you need to do. And, like, checkpoints that you need to hit if you want to do what you want to do. And, like, to be where, how do I say this? To develop a certain set of social skills that otherwise you will not have the opportunity to develop. Where do you think she got this from as someone who didn't grow up in that environment? I, so she also grew up in a pretty strict family. Um, grew up poor. But she traveled a lot. Okay. Um, so my mom is probably the most well-traveled person I know. Okay. She's currently in Sri Lanka, living her best life right wow. now. So she graduated from Catholic University, became a teacher after her master's in education. You know, she just started traveling a lot. Lived in Nigeria for a couple of years, actually. It's been all over the world. Um, but it's also really interesting because she started investing the second she was out of college and like rode through kind of like the dot-com bubble. Wow. Um, and was able to do much more for herself and her life and her family than otherwise would be possible in a teacher's salary just because she got lucky. Yeah. And, she, and it wasn't like some amazing like uh, multi-tiered investment strategy. She literally just did momentum investing, which is you put on the big names, you just bet the house. Yeah. And it just worked out for her. That's incredible. Um, and so, yeah, so she had the resources and uh, the ability to experience a lot of things in life. And I think it opened her eyes to certain things and it made her realize what she wished she had had growing up. And she wanted to make damn sure that her kid had it. Yeah, she seems like a visionary. And I'm jealous <laughs> of her trip to Sri Lanka right now. Do you remember, like, when you're in those environments that your mom put you in, like, what did it feel to be, like, the only person of color in those environments? So, the funny thing is, I was always the token black kid. I knew nothing else. Okay. So, I honestly couldn't compare it to anything else whatsoever. So, it was your norm? Uh, it was very much my norm. That was just, I was always used to, like, maybe, I probably had in my child, like, adult, or early childhood, up to, like, eighth grade, had, like, two black friends. Entire, entire life. Because, like, they just weren't really in your community. I just didn't I just didn't have access to them. Yeah. Uh, they just both had me because I went to school and played soccer with them. And so, when you were in those environments, did you ever feel like... I mean, you said you're basically used to being the token. Yeah. But, like, did the other kids ever say anything about you being the other? Or was it just accepted? Like, Adi's the only black kid. That's fine. I really, truly did not think about the dynamics of race in that, like, until probably high school. Like, that. Like, it was just... That was just my world. I knew nothing else. Um, I knew that there were obviously environments not like that, uh, but I couldn't speak to them. And honestly, I was almost nervous, afraid, scared. Like I, I remember like going into high school, right? There would be like the black kids table like, yeah. in lunch. 
that's why like, all cool black kids would sit and I would like I don't think I I was able to sit there maybe like towards the end of my high school career junior and senior year but in the beginning dude I was so intimidated I, I couldn't at all possibly even approach uh, that community just because I had never experienced before I didn't know like what the social norms that were acceptable in that community were and um, if you don't know something you kind of fear it in a way yeah but yeah so when you first went to high school, because you're talking about like how you didn't feel comfortable approaching the black table, you weren't really, you didn't know the social norms there. No. What what happened when you got to high school? Like what was the demographic of high school? You like you said, you went to boarding school. Yeah. Like kind of set the scene for us. So where did I go to school? I went to Westtown School. Um, it's in Westchester, Pennsylvania. It is a Quaker school actually. Okay. Which I will say, looking back, actually did have an outsized effect on the experience. Um, extremely liberal school, extremely liberal student body, like we didn't have a dress code. I became, like th- that was the time in my life I first interacted with uh, the LGBT community in any large capacity. Yeah. Um, and kids were open um, and everyone was very supportive. It was not like the typical or, like high school, like, oh, F word or stuff, yeah, stuff that was like the that. vibe at my high school. It was not that in this. It wasn't even accepted. Like you could, you would get just ostracized if you took that route. Yeah. And I didn't realize how lucky that was. Very lucky. Like there was like bullying wasn't a thing. Everyone was so nice, open, and kind. And obviously, there's different levels of like the social hierarchy. And, yeah. like, and there's people who are more social and like who would like the athletes who would maybe like things along that nature. But there, everyone was nice. Okay. And that was, like, I think partially because when you live with these kids, you are around them all the time. You see them at their best, their worst, but you have no real choice but not to hang out with them because you literally live with them. And when you, like, are able to live with someone, it really breaks down any barriers, I would say, that would could potentially morph into something in terms of negative behavior. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was amazing. But, like, as speaking about myself, so freshman year... These kids, so they also have an eighth grade that transfers into the ninth grade, and then like eight through or K through eight as well. So a lot of these kids have been going to school uh, together for a while, right? Yeah. And I was kind of a fresh new face in class of about a hundred. There was probably like thirty new kids who came on, and honestly, it was like kind of just like a big opening welcome hug. Like they were really excited to have new friends. Um, they like only had this like group of core kids. Uh, for like, like I said, the past eight years of their education. So, um, what sounded a really good job of like bringing in kids of different diversities, backgrounds. Like my roommate, my first year was from Turkey, played on the basketball team. Wow. And yeah, it was just an awesome experience and just, uh, opened my eyes to a lot of different, uh, a lot of different cultures actually, surprisingly so. Kind of sounds like a dream. Sounds better than my high school experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, high school's not happy. that open and it was not that welcoming (laughs) it just wasn't it wasn't that okay so we talked a little bit before the conversation i know we had like our our pre-conversation recording the podcast and we talked a bit about like what it means to play the game and so you're talking about like these social norms that you learned about your life in bethesda then coming to boarding school Mm -hmm. and then you kind of pointed out which is interesting how like with the black kids you didn't really know their social norms so talk to me about like those social norms how that goes into playing the game what does playing the game mean what are we talking about Playing the game, playing the game, what does it mean? What are we talking about? So when I say playing the game, and I think when we talk about playing the game, I think we're talking about the concept of social capital mm-hmm. and also not social mobility in like the classic academic sense, but the ability to be able to move through different communities, social spheres, and not be seen as an outsider, but actually be considered an insider because you are aware of their behaviors, you're aware of like what to say, when to say it, how to say it, how to look, how to talk, who who are like the stakeholders within the group per se. Um, and for me, a lot of that playing the game came through observation. Like I said, being an only child, you just spend a lot of time just like reading, looking around at your world, and you don't really have too many how do I say, uh, walls to bounce ideas off of. Yeah, so not a lot of outlets. Not a lot of outlets, exactly. So you just are really just trying to like put together this mind map of society. And then, as you get into high school, like, let's say I have this mind map kind of build, starting to build out as I 
to matriculate into high school, and then I actually get to participate in some of this mind map, right? And um, it's such a welcoming environment, it's not like it's a scary thing to do. And so you're like just willing to keep on doing it, and you try this different group, and I became one of those kids who I had best group of friends who were like the band guys, and who were like the cool kids who like played shows on the weekends sometimes, but I also played soccer. Um, then I also was a huge nerd and you would find me playing Xbox with a bunch of guys for like hours on the end at night and we'd be having like like web battles with like old school land battles. It was like I, I hit a lot of notes <laughs> back in the day and moved through a lot of spheres and that's something that I still value and still do to this day. Um, I have a lot of disparate friend groups who per se their interests aren't aligned uh, but I might be a person who kind of moves around them. Okay. Yeah. It's really interesting, the concept of like mind mapping, like at a young age, you were kind of sitting there and, you know, maybe not as involved as in making it, but you're just able to kind of decipher like where all these things sit and what they mean. So one of my many extracurricular activities that my mom forced me to do was be a school tour guide. And I uh, ended up being like the head tour guide, right? And like, oh, this this black kid is very well spoken. And yeah, they loved it, the school, right? In high school? Yeah, yeah in high oh school. My God. <laughs> and uh, so, literally, once or twice a week, I would have to take prospective students and their parents around. And like, that's actually why I started to build a little bit the skill of storytelling and telling people what they wanted to hear and saying, like, showing them. And how do I say this? Taking them, taking the horse to water in mm-hmm. a way. And I would actually say that was one of my very big formative high school experiences, like hearing what people like wanted to see, like from the perspective of a child, from the perspective of a parent, was really good. It was yeah. really good. Yeah. I can see that now, like you being a tour guide on campus, like hello, <laughs> yeah. you're like selling the school, selling a dream. Exactly, you're, se- you're selling the dream. That's yeah. exactly what. Yes, you learn how to like you in a way. It was like it was my first like sales workshop. Yeah. And like sales skill set. So you're getting like a lot of valuable experience early on because in high school, that's not what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really funny because I've slowed down on, on a lot of my community engagements these days. I mean, so I believe right. it if you started so early. So you kind of answered this when you talked about your mom investing and kind of like the background of your parents, but how did socioeconomics play, play into this? Yeah, so to be frank, uh, I, drew, I grew up very comfortable. Um, I'm not going to say I'm like absurdly wealthy, but, um, or even like rich or anything, but like definitely like upper middle class. Mm-hmm. When my dad died, he did leave me quite a bit of money so that in on my mom's teacher salary, even with all her investing and whatnot, she pretty much didn't have to pay for any real life expenses for me up to the age of 18. So yeah, life was comfortable. But at the same time, I was going to schools where these kids were actually wealthy. Yeah. Like capital W, wealthy, like multiple houses around the globe, multiple cars, these kids getting dropped off by drivers, like extremely, extremely wealthy. And you can't help but notice it. Yeah. Is it that you can't, and you know that it's different than what you have at home, right? I will say though, you definitely, I saw it a whole lot in middle school, but because boarding school does a very good job of stripping some of that away, in a way, I feel like the socioeconomic differences that become pre-pronouncing like classic high school settings weren't actually as much so in uh, boarding school except when like we started to get a little bit older and you finally out to like have cars on campus and then kids are gone every single weekend right yeah. going skiing and their BMW yeah <laughs> exactly obviously comfortable but surrounded by all this opulent wealth in my academic circumstances and simply put and I don't know how to like even talk about this but you start to desire it. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, and I'm trying to like think through the why behind it. People desire it who aren't even in that pocket. You know what I mean? Like that's the whole idea of like, I mean, it's different, but like the Kardashians and like different people who have this like crazy wealth, whether they were self-made or inherently wealthy, we as Americans desire to like hit that pinnacle. So I can only imagine it's even more pronounced if you were firsthand seeing it, because it would almost make you think that you could too get, these are your friends. Right, right. Like, these are your peers. Yeah. So you're like, I, me too. Like, I could do it too. We're going to the same school, we're doing the yeah. same stuff. Like, I can make this money. Yeah. I don't know. And even now to the day, we were, I was speaking to one of our mutual friends, and we were talking about how, like, what are, what are we driven by these days? Like, even as we're, like, approaching our 30s, like, are we 
driven by compensation? Like, are we driven by the prestige? Do we want to be happy at our job? And like, sadly, still from childhood, I can answer pretty assuredly that it is like I'm chasing the paycheck for like what job was. Yeah, very yeah. much job was. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, so you, I know we've talked about this a little, but I'm curious. Like, you just have no desire to have a job that's fulfilling. You just want to make money. Fulfilling. I feel when I say fulfilling, I don't need to feel like I might be making the world a better place, but I want it to be something that is valuable but like I want to be doing something that is valued by the world like I'm not just like I don't know what's a good example but like I want to feel like I'm doing something important so maybe there's an element of prestige to that time there's definitely an element of prestige to that (laughs) I'm not judging you but there's an element of prestige to that prestige to it like the whole I I wouldn't even know where to start if someone was asking like what would you want to do every single day if like money didn't matter um, I would probably say I would go be a soccer coach. And do you think your environment made you into a person who doesn't think of work in that way? Yeah. My mom hated her job as a teacher. Hated it. <laughs> Which I always make fun of her for. I'm like, eh, you know, you have kids' futures in your hand. You should probably take care of more. My dad was a doctor, loving a doctor, but it was too past when I was too young for me to really get a good sense of how he viewed his work. Yeah. But yeah, I've never, I don't have any like such burning passions in my life that I think I would be able to transform into like some sort of professional thing or business or something or I can align myself to it that I would want. Yeah, there's just nothing. So for me, work is simply work. It does not equate to passion or anything like that. Work is work. It's just a utility. Yeah. That makes sense. So we talked a little bit about these people who are wealthy with a capital W. Mm-hmm. Um, how does being surrounded by them impact your access? So you said that you weren't one of them, but you grew up pretty comfortable. But yes. now that you're surrounded by them, not only in boarding school, but we get into like your college, college career. We yeah, get we into, about, yeah. yeah, we haven't gotten to college. Yeah. So like, let's talk about how access in high school started, but also like how that informed college. I think, yeah, the transition to college is a great way to start there because it really exemplifies access. So I went to Northwestern University in Chicago, and when I was there, I joined an all-white fraternity. And fortunately or unfortunately, it was quite strongly shaped my college experience. Um, I will actually lean towards fortunately because a lot of those kids were they were like very good guys, um, all very successful, but they were also pretty well-adjusted and pretty emotionally intelligent. And I think it has actually, looking back, it was a decision I'm glad I made and won't have to make again. Uh, maybe not in current climate, but like if going it, back five right. years if ago. If they were, like if they were 2011, <laughs> I would make the same decision again. <laughs> so these were, these like, these are kids who come from like Rye, New York and stuff and like Greenwich, Connecticut, yeah. right? And so in terms of access, it's funny. For a lot of people, I could imagine being like those those kids right they they think they're technically the cool kids they're 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 confident in themselves uh they come from money they're probably pretty good at sports they're also smart they're at northwestern like these are like they're good looking like they're the full package (laughs) right so these kids and like a lot of like i should be intimidated by them and i probably was quite a bit intimidated by them and still am intimidated by some of my friends but my upbringing that, like I had mentioned, my mom had put me through, like, kind of this social mapping. And just, like, those, this, also another example of the tour guide stuff. Like, you really, I kind of got together a skill set that allowed me to enter this community, this world that could potentially be hard to access for some and potentially could be very daunting. But life experiences had given me like the skill set and the and things I needed in order to. Yeah. So you knew the language basically. I knew the like language. you you had spent childhood and your formative years basically like being in similar environments. So yes. you didn't you weren't like a fish out of water. Yes. It's like okay, I know the language, I know what to do. But it's kind of funny though because you I, there was a choice and there was a decision to be made. Do I join like a black fraternity? I, like there was a choice on that. I. Uh, there was an option for me to join a black fraternity, and it was not one, sadly, that I explored at all, simply because I just would have, I didn't even have any sort of map in my mind of how to handle that uh, community or even yeah. that social experience. I think that's really interesting and like a good point that 
and you talked about it a little bit with like even like the cool table at your high school it's like when you don't grow up in black environments and i think what's interesting about the conversation and i said in the intro i am having this conversation because our experiences are similar but different like i joined a white sorority and i think i didn't even try to join a black sorority because I'm like, I don't know anything about being in a group of black women. Like I, that's yeah. not been my experience. Yeah. I don't even know. The process is different. So I'm like, <laughs> how do you, yeah, how is. do you like tell them that you're interested without telling them that you're interested? And I'm like, I don't even know how that works. So I just didn't even attempt. Um, but the feedback I've gotten, I remember, and I don't know if this happens to you. I'd be curious. I was at work when I was working at Facebook and I was like, in, it was in the office chilling and I used to wear this gold pendant on my neck that was like a, um, eh, it wasn't a crest. It was like something that paid homage to, to Kayo, but it was very small. Like you have to be like in front of me to see it. And this black woman asked me at work, what is that? And I said, oh, it's um, a necklace for my sorority. And it, it's very like muted. Like you would not know unless you were really looking at it. And she's like, what sorority were you in? And I was like, oh, I was in Kayo Mega. And she was like, a white sorority? I'm at work. I'm at my job. <laughs> I'm at my job. And she's like, we should get lunch and talk about this. And it wasn't giving like, cause I'm really curious and like no shade to this woman. She's great. But like, it wasn't giving, I'm curious. It's giving shock. It's giving why. It looked like she was extending a hand to help. Yeah. <laughs> okay? I already yeah. did it, homie. It's over. But like, she was telling me how her mom would have never mom would have never let her do that um and you know I, i'm gonna do a whole episode about that to be frank but i think that what's interesting is like my mom didn't groom me to desire that environment she almost did it unknowingly if that makes sense like my mom's also a teacher now a guidance counselor and she like put me in school environments or because some of this is like not about us some of this is bigger right. than us it like yeah. to go to the best school it's going to be a predominantly white environment right. and so i my parents picked my neighborhood picked where I would go to school based on like, what is the best school? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be probably white. So I grew up with white people and then I went to college and I did the same thing yes, like you. Same. So <laughs> I too relate to the whole point of like, I don't know how to be in a group full of black people. Um, I would have been probably uncomfortable. With that. yeah, <laughs> like, that's like, and you know what's crazy? It took me so long to admit that to myself that I was uncomfortable around black people. Yeah. It's a hard thing to admit because you are black. Because you're black. You're black. Yeah. Like, like it, it's, it's embarrassing in a way to like say it out loud almost. I think for me, the uncomfortability came from like lack of exposure. And I want to say like the difference is, and I like definitely I have so many questions. I'm just thinking a lot about like you are experiencing being a black man with a white mom. I still have a black family, right? So it's like when I go home, my parents are like, very black obviously <laughs> like and then it's like I have an extended family we all kind of had similar upbringings like growing up in the suburbs my dad went to private school he went to PWI like whatever like it's similar but like they picked black people in their environments like actually my mom went to an HBCU all her friends from college are black my dad went to a PWI but all of his friends from college are black like they don't have they don't really have white friends so like yeah. I, yeah. it was yeah. it's so it's like different but similar because I think your mom did something that's like the blueprint your mom gave you, I started investigating on my own. Mm-hmm. Like, I realized that, like, if you're black in these environments, but you're not plugged in, why are you there? Yes. You I think to, that's you should the, be there to take advantage of that. that right. Yeah. Why are you in the environment if you're not getting, like, the access that you think right. you should have? Unfortunately, I hope the tides change, but, like, in our college years, like, that's who had the access. So it sounds very calculated, and it's actually hard to say. It does. Wow. It sounds very sociopathic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like playing this this podcast back when I'm like, yo, my, yo. Yeah, it sounds like I, we engineered our lives, but I think I realized pretty quickly I was doing a, a program at school that was like focused on like predominantly black kids before I went to Kent, and I was like in that environment, and I was picking up on a few signals. A, everybody keeps talking about how they're first generation college. I'm not. Then we start talking about like what we're going to do at school and how we're going to be positioned at school. And then school started. And I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work for me. You're all talking about how you don't really like it here and how people are trying to do. I wanted to like college. Like point blank period. I knew I was black. There was no confusion. But I wanted to have a good time. Like I just want to like have fun. And I'm like, they're having fun. It's not stressful to be black. It's not like they just were always pissed. And I didn't want to be an activist, which is also hard for me to say because someone from college is probably listening to this. And I didn't want to fight the power 
in 2011. I wanted the power. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted the power, and I just wanted to have a good time. Yeah. I wanted to have the college experience I saw on TV. Like, yeah. I wanted to, like, go to, like, Hegger and, like, yes. have friends and, like, bop around, and I'm like... Yeah. Now yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. To, like, <laughs> it's very interesting to just like look back on. Okay, so back to you. You joined away fraternity at Northwestern. How does that impact your four years? Like you said, you didn't really hang out in predominantly black crowds. Did you ever get more assimilated to hanging out with black people, or was it just like four years fraternity brothers, and then graduation? Like, my life very much, my social life, at least, very much centered around my friends who were from that fraternity. Like, yeah. we all lived together every single year. Yeah. Um, we do parties together all the time. We, yeah, we went to class together. Like, and, like they were my, there was, like, 50 other, 30 of us in our class together, pledge class or whatever. And those were my best friends. And went on vacation with them, everything with them. There were black kids in my fraternity. I wasn't the only black kid in my fraternity. There were, there were, like, eight. Eight or nine. Out of, out of how many people? Out of like, probably like 80. Okay. Um, 10%. Yeah. yeah. That's all right. It's actually playing the pledge educator, pledge master, who's oh actually black as well. well that's kind of cool. <laughs> really? That yeah. wasn't the vibe in my sorority, but that's cool. Um, we even had like an honorary member just because he was on the basketball team and couldn't join because of whatever reasons. And he was also black. And it was like, it was actually like, there were definitely black faces within this white fraternity crowd. And I was definitely very close with them. We definitely had a relationship that was separate from the rest of the house. It's this unspoken, even if something big hasn't happened, something could just be said that was whack. Like, why did they say that? Yeah. And like, we have a sidebar later. Like, did yes. you hear what he said at chapter today? Like, that was wild. Why was that said? Um, and it was, to me, there were a few black women in my sorority. But like, we definitely had our moments where we'd even just talk about being like black in Greek life. Yeah. Like, there were black girls in my sorority, but like, how were you treated? Like, what were the vibes with fraternities as being a black girl? Like, all of that. It was interesting. No, I even remember, like, we would, we would like, uh, we'd close the door and we'd, like, all just be smoking weed together. Stop yeah, let's just hey, have a moment. Yeah, that's just, chill. <laughs> just, just chill, just us. And then the t- couple, of them, couple of us that were in my pledge class, like, made it a point to make sure we recruited more, right? And, like, tried to, like, yeah. up the numbers. Can't just be that. us. And I actually remember one of the kids we recruited, his, he was an absolute man, one of the most charming, smart, and uh, he was supposed to be the next, like, rush chair, right? So the face the house yeah. as it goes out to the community and tries to, like, collect new members or whatever. And it was a massive battle in the house because it was this one black kid who, like, we supported so hard and, like, we're going to bat for so hard. And, like, most of the house, a lot of the house supported him as well. Yeah. But then there was this also this, like, fine, like, average vanilla playing white. Yeah, average vanilla. (laughs) And I just remember, I had never spoken up in chapter the way I went to bat for this kid to be rush chair. And I, like, felt this weird sense of community that, like, internally, like, a community within a community that I had never felt before. Yeah. Um, Kid, unfortunately, didn't end up getting the position. Um, But, uh, yeah, I remember it was, like, a organized campaign among the, like, black individuals in the fraternity to try and get this kid. Like, we must get him as rush chair. We We need him. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't win. Why? Um, Because there was, like, this idea. We ended up being uh, co-whatever, like, rush chair junior. I don't know what the title was. Assistant rush chair. Yeah. And, like, they were making all facts. Like, well, the rush chair actually does a lot more administrative work. The assistant rush chair actually is, like, more the face. So let's make him the... (laughs) <laughs> right? 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 You can see my face right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. Some bullshit, some bullshit. So definitely, that's probably when I started to have that community within the fraternity community is when I became, that was like the first time I had like a very solid black community in my life. That's the, those kids who were there with me. You did it sooner than me. I did not graduate college with a group of like black friends. Like, really? No. Like not even within Greek life. I think there's a certain respect that comes from other black people in Greek life, like white Greek life. Um, like a nod, what's up? I was in Chicago this summer and I ran into a guy who was a pike at Kent. We are not close friends, but he was black and we know each other. So like we said, what's up? Like it's, it's yeah, like it's like that vibe of like we say hi, but we're not friends. Because I think two people, I mean, it, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting because people choose different paths. Like people choose the we're going to observe how some of this is bullshit, but we're in it path. And then some people are like very in it. And so I never clicked with the people who were like, oh, you're very in it. Like you're not seeing the error of the ways of like what this is. So <laughs> I'm going to interrupt you there. There's obviously so much fucking wrong. There's so much error in the ways. Right? Yeah. 
But there's also, and this is me maybe being the capitalist piece of shit I am, but there's only one game in town when it comes to like professional success, and that is capitalism. Yeah. In a way, right? And unfortunately, the powers that be, like who owns the access that we just talked about, right? Yeah. And in my mind, it was, it was like, yo, I'm trying to get a seat at the fucking table. Yeah, and sorority life, it's a little more nuanced. I think that's what's interesting. Like, I talk about this all the time, the difference between, like, an experience of a black woman and a black man. Like, the the access is paramount for all of us. And I think sometimes that's where I fail at playing the game because I have a big mouth. So, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, no, 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 I feel really disrespected in this moment. So I might be willing to delay my seat because you're acting crazy. Like, that's where sometimes in the sorority, like, I almost dropped my sorority. I remember going to my new member educator and it was like, I'm feeling a little targeted right now. If we don't turn the heat down, I might have to leave because it's oh, giving wow. a little. What was happening? Wait, what was happening? So like, you know, so many rules. You guys have less rules than we have, but we weren't allowed to like drink with our bigs before initiation or something. Oh yeah, that would. And crazy. I was drinking with my bigs before initiation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I don't think I was doing a good job of keeping it a secret, or maybe someone narked on me. I don't know, but like. We had a conversation about how sometimes I would get away with stuff, actually, because I was well-liked. And that's another thing about playing the game that people don't talk about. Being-liked is half the battle. So So I could be messing up left and right, but because people liked me and saw a certain social capital with me being associated with them... Right they would leave me alone. Yes. So I was like, oh, but like my other friend keeps getting hit up. We were drinking with our bigs together. Like we were drinking, we were breaking the rules together. She kept getting like all these demerits. Like they're like, I can't believe she's doing this. I'm, like, I'm doing it too. Like why is she, what is going on? Right. And so I like called a meeting to be like, what's going on? <laughs> and essentially the result was, please don't drop. Like <laughs> the vibe was like, please do not drop. And I think, to me, that opened a new realm of the game where I was like, I'm just going to do what I want to do as long as you're getting what you want from me. Interesting point that you mentioned about, yes, we're getting a lot of access, quote unquote, right? But also, I think it was really cool that you mentioned, and also something that's very obvious, is they're also getting something from us. Correct. I, I don't know which is more valuable, honestly, but we are providing to them access as well. Correct. And like a certain accolade of having these black right. people who say good things about you, not just them being there, but them liking being there matters. I have a question. How many people or how many associates or how many females that you kind of associate or how many girls you're like are semi-associated with? Yeah. Do you think use you as their one token background? Like, oh, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Uh, how many people? Do you a, think, lot. a lot. <laughs> I think where I have grown as a person though is I am... Checking those people. I think that I used to be really uncomfortable with conversations about race because to this whole conversation about playing the game, race isn't discussed. It's like an underlier that's there, but unless something really epic happens, we don't really talk about race. I didn't talk about it. Like in my head, I'd be like, this is kind of racist, but like, (laughs) that's above me. But now as I get older, I'm like, did you hear what you just said? Like, did you, did you hear what you just said? I'm like stopping people. And I think that it's not to sound cliche, but the whole Black Lives Matter movement made it like tenfold because I was like okay y'all know you're being racist now you're watching CNN every day you know that was racist so I I think to answer your question a lot of people probably up until now would be able to say like Shelby's my token black friend but I think now it's not that fun to be my token white friend because I'm aggressive I'm a little like I'm a little like I didn't like that tone didn't like that you said that so I currently am uh, getting my MBA at Yale, and uh, I was up in New Haven last weekend. We were just at a bar, and was getting introduced. I have a very good friend who's actually from the fraternity in college who goes there with me, and uh, we kind of ride around together and whatnot. And he was introducing me to a couple of his friends he'd met, uh, and I told him, uh, and we were those like, oh, what are you doing after you know, graduating and whatnot? I was like, oh, I'm going into investment banking with XYZ firm. And he's like, oh, it's really cool, man. I'm going to the XYZ firm as well. We were shooting shit, making jokes, yada, yada. But uh, also, I think it's important to point, I, uh, I kind of like fashion, so I uh, might not dress the most conservatively at all times. You have some looks? Like, I wear jewelry, uh, have two rings on, uh, bracelets, and I'm just going to get my ear pierced. But I don't look like a classic investment banker yeah. in most cases. And that's all beyond being black. Yeah, beyond being black. <laughs> <laughs> beyond being black. And like, like as we had a couple beers, the guy was like, "Damn, man, it was pretty, pretty talk to you." Like, and yada yada, we should hang out and we get to the city. 
then he made some comment like, oh, you, you just don't seem like such, like a XYZ firm kind of guy. Mm, tell um, me more about what that seems like. <laughs> and so first of all, <laughs> I really thought he was referencing my look rather than my race, right? Yeah. Because I have another friend who's at Yobi who's also the very same, like very street style forward, but is in finance. Yeah. And he's a white dude, right? Like you would, this dude does not look like he has touched an Excel model in his life. Yeah. Like he's, that's his thing. So that's what I thought he was referring to. And I left the conversation and like didn't even think about it. So I was like at home falling asleep kind of drunkenly. I was like, yo, wait, like... Was I so am I so habituated to making people feel comfortable that it just even recognize it? I was like, yo, I should have checked that dude right there. I was like, what? Oh my god. Yeah. I mean you get you get better at it. I'm very I mean I don't want to oversell it, but I'm pretty assertive as a person. Okay, I'm um, very not. I know. As we <laughs> as we talked about, for those wondering, Adi is a Libra, so make of that what you will. In the systems I was in, I will also say we're like less prestigious in a lot of ways. Like I went to like a normal public school in Dayton, in the suburbs of Dayton, Ohio. I went to Kent State. It's a state school. Um, it's not like it's very hard to get into. And then, you know, from there, I've moved to New York and whatever. I had this whole career. But like, I needed the social capital of those people when we were in those environments. This is also going to sound psychotic. I always knew I was cooler than them. But like my class of people who I like associated with, I graduated with almost five hundred people. But I wasn't a wallflower. I spoke at graduation. I was on yearbook. I was on the tennis team. Like I was very involved in high school. And I think some of that was because you need to play the game. Like I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be trusted. And then I went to college and did the same shit. Sorority, tour guide, orientation leader. And then it's funny because the pandering stopped. Because I like saw my place in the world. Like I did what I needed to do to get where I needed to go. Then I got there. And I mean, you can kind of turn it off in some ways. I think it's different for you because you're in investment banking or you will be and you're also at Yale currently. But like for me, my career has been like in tech and media and there's a certain amount of playing the game of like speaking the language. Everyone I worked with at Facebook talking about their second home and like quarantining in the Hamptons and I'm like, I'm literally living with my parents. <laughs> like, hope you're having fun in the Hamptons in your background. I'm literally in Dayton, Ohio in a lime green room fighting for my life, but okay. Um, so I think there's some of that, but I also let that go. Like, we don't have to be similar because we're not. Like, I, I used to really hold on to like, speak the language, make people comfortable, like you said, make people feel like you're supposed to be here. And I think now I lean toward, I was always supposed to be here and I was going to be here. Yeah, no, no, I totally hear that. I, I totally hear that. I just, like you said, I'm a Libra. I fortunately, <laughs> it, it, like, conflict is very tough for me. Um, very tough for me. So, we'll also say, though, like, at least from that Northwestern college fraternity experience, I actually, in, like, genuinely like probably 95% of those guys. Yeah. Um, I genuinely do. And I actually genuinely think, like you said there, you're like, you think you were, well, objectively, you were cooler than them. You objectively are. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that for my past. are pretty cool friends. You're friends with some of them. And they're some pretty great folks. And there's been once or t- maybe once, they're actually like pretty socially aware human beings. They've never said anything that made me cringe or I was like. So I think that's like the difference and why I wanted to talk to you. Like my, like our mutual friend always comes at me all the time for my friends. And mm. he's always like, I can't believe your friends would say X, Y, Z. And it's like, when you're in elevated environments, they also know what not to say. Does that make sense? So when you're in like a, a Northwestern or a Yale or like oh, yeah, they, know what to say. they yeah. also know what's appropriate for them They're to not be saying. Right. Yeah. Whereas in my environments, they actually weren't. And it's not it actually doesn't have a lot to do with money, because I mean, yes and no. Like people weren't wealthy with a capital W, but these aren't like super pedestrian people. But it's also like they weren't socialized to not say that. Because it's like wherever I'm from, I'm the king of the hill. So like I can say like whatever I want to say, whereas like your friends probably are a little more worldly to be like, I might think that and we might say that at home, but I would never <laughs> say that. At- well enough to know Correct. That that Some of these people like training. And when it comes to liking my sorority sisters, I curated a group of people who I liked and I'm, I'm not shy about. Um, I have a great group of girls I lived in the house with, still friends with till this day, but I definitely notice some vibes in the Greek community and I'm like, mm, don't love these vibes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like very much like, why are you here vibes? But women, oh, I think- interesting. I definitely never got those. So women okay. are socialized a lot differently than men. And I think that would, you know, that set, like goes into my hypothesis about 
why sometimes I don't feel a super big camaraderie with like the guys who are in fraternities, like mm. black men who are in fraternities versus like women who are in sororities. Cause we were treated differently. Like people were not always like about that. What are they doing here? Like oh. what? I mean, Damn. I, yeah, it, Damn, really? Yeah, the vibe sometimes is like, who let them in? This it's not fitting the aesthetic, because sororities have aesthetics. Very much have a brand. Yeah, sororities have a brand, and so it probably also like informed the sorority I joined, also, because I was like, some of these sororities that are like very, the vibe is like rich white woman. I'm not doing that. Right. (laughs) I can't cosplay as a rich white woman for the rest of my. Um, college career, so. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Okay. So, like, shifting outside of Greek life, now that we're both out of college. We're real um, humans, adults. Yeah, so, we're real so. humans with bills and, like, responsibilities, allegedly. Um, what yeah. do you, like, how do you see your identity now? Like, I would say you kind of described a lovely situation. It doesn't seem like there are any major racist moments. Um, no, and so, honestly, <laughs> and that is, like, it's totally like something I struggle with, right? Uh, obviously, I know America is racist as hell. You're <laughs> not going to come on here and deny that. Yeah, that, that, that is what it is. I am not trying to say anything against that. Um, but I believe it. Like, I know it is. But I personally, and I have led an extremely privileged life, I know this, uh, have never experienced like blatant racism to my face in any way, shape, or form. And that is a privilege that I know that I do not share with many. Yeah. Um, I will even give one great example of this. Unfortunately, we're still rewinding the clock. We're back in high school right now, boarding school. <laughs> I was at my friend's house for the weekend. White guy, family, obviously very wealthy, yada yada, a very nice neighborhood. Um, and we were smoking some weed. And uh, we wanted to go get some snacks. So hopped in my car with a friend and the sister of the person's house I was staying in. And um, on our way over there, as we were like between the Wawa and coming back, so someone was like, I have to pee, I have to pee. So I was like, all right, let's just pull over in this little, like one of those side shoulder yeah. parks on the highway. They're going in the woods, go pee. We started smoking and joint as well. And uh, all of a sudden, I was like, holy shit, are those red and blue lights behind my car right now? The cops. Holy shit. And so I'm like, gosh, it's, it's my car. You gotta stay here, I'll deal with it. Even though I know I am the black kid. And yeah. Just, like, but that didn't even register to me, that back itself, right? Yeah. I go to the car, officer's like, please get in, sir. Get in, and I started looking for all kinds of like lotion, anything scented to potentially yeah. like- So it doesn't look weak. Yeah, <laughs> anything scented. Guy comes over, he's like, hey, sir, uh, what are you doing out here right now? I was like, oh, officer, I'm sorry, I just I had to use the bathroom, I'm just coming between a Wawa and my friend's house. He was like, look at the car, and it was like a 2010 Volkswagen Touareg, it's like, it's like a mall. It's honestly like a soccer mall. Yeah, it's like a like Volkswagen SUV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a It's like he like looks in, making some assumptions and whatnot. He's like, all right, where where does your friend live exactly? Gave him the address, and uh, he's like, oh, all right, well. And he moved on after you guys smelled like weed. Yeah, and just- I can't decide about it. And um, I realized I didn't even realize that, but I told the mom of the daughter when I get back what happened because she was one of those moms who was very friendly. And yeah. Cool, yeah, yeah. And she was like, hi. Damn, are you, do you know what could have just happened? Like, do you know what could have just happened? Yeah, that could have been all bad. Yeah, and I did not recognize it. Like, I felt that my, the social skills I had was more likely to get me out of that situation than the skin on, the color of my skin was likely to get me in trouble. That is, there's a lot to unpack from that. Because it's just like due to your lack of experience with, racial moments also like i mean who's to say because we've kind of talked about this too like just not having like not having your dad present because like you grew up with a white mom Mm -hmm. and seeing like would your dad have had experiences like that to speak to or like would you have witnessed experience because like i didn't have a lot of outwardly racist moments happening to me as a child i mean drive by driving age some had happened but like as a child but my dad did or my mom did like I remember we moved, we were building our house and my dad would like, just like drive by, see like, what's good? How's the house going? And the cops would stop him. Like the cops stopped oh my, my dad so many times. Just yes. like, what, do you live here? Like what's, what's happening here? And to the point where he said, I will call the city if they don't stop pulling me over. Cause they weren't ticketing him. Right. They were just like, what's good with you? Like, who is this? And my mom, we were out somewhere. We were like at a drive through and she's like, 
the woman handing her the food was like asking her about her race basically because my mom is like lighter skin hazel eyes long hair and it's like so so like what's your people were trying to make her native american or something like she's like that woman is black they were trying to make her something like different and i was like damn people are really hyper focused on you guys' race or even like in my town, people would be like, oh, shocked that I had XYZ. Like, I, it's not normal for black people to have, like, it's almost like the people I knew as a young person didn't know any black people who had any money. <laughs> and my parents are very, like, middle class. Like, they weren't, like, picking me up in a Benz. It was giving Toyota Camry. My dad worked for the government. My mom was a school teacher. Like, it wasn't giving rich people, but, like, to have anything, to, like, go out of town. You just had no experience with no, no. So to me, that was what made it formative. It wasn't always like these outwardly crazy racist moments. I just felt like people were always telling me that I was different. Right. I had what they had. Sometimes I had more than what they had, but it was just never, just one of these things doesn't look like the other. Constantly reminded. But you know, racist, racist moments also went over my head. A girl in tennis was asking me about my hair. And this was like when I was experimenting with my natural hair, I didn't really know what I was doing. She was asking me about my hair, and I was telling it to my parents at dinner, like, just like, normal, like, we're chilling at dinner. I'm like, yeah, today at practice, da 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 My dad was like, what? He called my coach. We had to have a whole kumbaya, because it went over my head as like, oh, she's just annoying. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, because yeah. also, like, again, to me, I was getting what I wanted. To your point about, like, seats at the table, like, her asking me about my hair wasn't disrupting my flow. Like, I still was, like, had the friends I wanted, was invited to the parties I wanted to go to, was on the tennis. I didn't give, I didn't give a shit about what she said. Right. Like, but then, when I told him that, this yeah. man was spinning up. Absolutely not. As he should. As Absolutely he should. not. As he should. And so I learned a lot from my parents. I think I would have been letting a lot of shit go if I wasn't coming home and being, like, just talking. I wasn't even saying that in a pointed way. I was like, yeah, she's being mad annoying at practice today. But I was like... What, what now what was said <laughs> like writing it down like what did she say and so yeah that's interesting that you haven't had any like hallmark moments no. sitting at your late 20s speaking of our adulthood apologies for the digression there you asked what like what is my view race and identity as I move into the adulthood and like after that right? yeah I would definitely say I have very much developed a stronger sense of my quote unquote blackness mm -hmm. per se um, I very much more lean into it more than I ever have before. Yeah. And that even being in little ways such as uh, my manner of speaking, like the colloquialisms I use, like not always having this radio voice on. It's a little bit, <laughs> you do you know, have a radio voice. Sometimes we do switch it up a bit and uh, it's something that's a little bit more natural, comfortable, less... Uh, Performative. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I also have a significant more number of black friends in my life. I definitely have a, without a doubt, a community, a black community in my life, finally. Am I still trying to get a seat at the table? Absolutely. And it's funny, I would even say, like, I don't know, I'm in this, for, in this class, you know, you know called Firm and Social World, where sometimes I, in the past, I would be hesitant to speak up about my lived experiences yeah. as a black man, or per se. But in this class, I'm very much willing to share now. And I think that's a very big change in, in terms of maybe how I view myself and like view and like my willingness to talk about it and my, not even the willingness, because I'm always willing to talk about things, but like the perception of my identity has changed in a way. Like I actually can look back a little bit more detailed in like this conversation that we're having right now and notice some of the, word I'm looking for here is some of the tendencies, the inclinations to like the various thoughts or anything of that sort. I think it makes sense. It's just like your perception of yourself has caught up with reality, is how yes. I would say. Yes. I didn't really know what I was or who I was growing up. And not to say I have this very strong sense of myself now, but I know what I'm trying to become, mm -hmm. per se, and I know what I'm not. That's fair. And I think that, like, your environment that your parents raise you in, for better or for worse, shapes that. And I don't think parents, I mean, I don't know anything about being a parent, but I've given a lot of feedback, because my mom is probably cringing as she listens to this. But I've given a lot of feedback, and I think that's part of mine, is, like, you have to pick... the. And you seems like your mom did, but the nuances there is that she's a white woman. But, like, you have to pick the space of, like, 
where your kids are going to be and what that environment's going to do to them. Yeah, and I you say, have to be very, very aware of those choices. Right, and I don't think, I think, you know, my mom and dad were like, you'll go to the best school we can afford for you to go to, so that's just that. And like we talked about how that plays into being in mostly white environments. But as I give all the feedback of why I am who I am and why, why I felt sometimes like a disconnect from my family because like my sister is like completely different from me and I like respect that so hard. Like she had no interest in playing the game. She probably talks to two people from high school, only black people, like only really black friends from college. She's not into like, she has no interest in any of this. And I find her to be fascinating that she like kind of hated high school. Like she was like in a vibe of like, Sydney's cool and she had friends, but she was like, I don't like these people. Like, it's just like, like and I like that in her. I just think That's, that was hard for me. I wanted to be, and I still in that way, I wanted to be in it. I find that so interesting, like, because you can't change your your circumstances at a young age, right? Yeah. Like, you get put, like, you can't, you, I mean, you sometimes can't be like, mom, please take me out of this place. Right, but they have the ultimate choice. At the end of the day, you usually just have to make do with what's there with you. Right. And so that's, that's so interesting to me to hear that she was just like, I hate these people. I'm just not going to interact. Or not, I, not because I interact, but like, I just don't like them and I've decided I don't like them. Yeah, and I think it's powerful though because I think a lot of the times I didn't like them. Like if we think about like how I felt othered, because you have to really think about what's going on to go through this exercise. Like I was very much like, even though I, just because I'm well-liked, part of that is pandering. I'm well-liked because I was pandering. pandering. She wasn't pandering. Sydney's very likable. (laughs) It's just that she was like, I'm not doing this. Like some of the stuff you guys are doing is crazy. And I... I'm not going to be able to sustain a friendship if these patterns repeat. So, like, silly things. Like, I remember there's a photo of me floating around. We were young, maybe fourth grade. And, you know, women have these, like, Conair straighteners that could never straighten a black girl's hair. You could, like, change the plates of it to, like, crimp your hair, straighten your hair. We're at a sleepover. Like, one of those little Dyson things. Like, the, Dyson is the 2020 ver- 2022 <laughs> version. Yeah, this is, like, a literal, like, I bought it Target has no business touching black hair. Okay, okay. So we're at a sleepover and there's like a photo of me like be like they're straightening my hair with the thing. Actually, one of my friend's sisters at a wedding said sorry to me for some of the shit she used to say to me at her house. She'd be like, Shelby, why don't you turn your hair into an afro? Like so many comments on everything I did to myself. So it doesn't mean I wasn't liked. She liked me enough to apologize to me. Like I was, I was liked enough to feel comfortable at their home. But it was just like so many moments of just like you are not like us. Yeah. Um, and I think Sydney, like this is not sustainable. <laughs> I can't, I can't keep doing this. I think part of it is her nature as a person. Like she's just, she's more of an introvert than I am. She only like has a trusted counsel. She just doesn't need a bunch of friends. She's like I really. <laughs> she has a trusted counsel. Board of directors. She has a board of directors. Like these are the true homies. <laughs> Like, you'll hear their names. She does things with them. They're, like, no new friends. So, like, I, I respect that. Because, I know, I mean, playing the game got me a lot of places, but it was also just, like, to your point, I had a moment of, like, who am I? Because I've curated yes. a vibe that I don't know is the vibe. So, in my adult life, I am able to now recognize the impact that my experience has had on me. Okay. There you go. I think and that's fair. Yeah. And how they shaped you. And now you have like a whole group of black friends, which is a better, a better place to be. Something that I found very interesting and part of the reason why I decided to go to Paris. Yeah. Um, I decided to, so I was choosing business schools. I'm doing a dual degree at Yale in a school in France called HEC Paris. Made the business school choice around Ferguson, right around the pandemic. Yeah. That's when I was like, yo, I hate the fuck up out of the U.S. Yeah. It sucks. I'm out of here. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, I just, anywhere but here. Like, Europe sounds great. Everyone gets off for August. Let's Vibes. Look, look great, a little gray, you can back at. Okay. Nice. Uh, <laughs> and, and one of the greatest things that I love about Paris. What? And any of my other black friends who have been there say this with me and share the sentiment. But you do not feel like a black person when you're a you don't feel like that is the first thing that people see about you yeah i think when you're abroad in general you're able to shed some of that vibe because i think it's some european countries are more racist than others but i think that the way that racism shows up there is just different and so it's not as paramount as it is here that was very refreshing yeah 
You got a little break. Yeah, you get a little break. Yep. Because, yeah. yeah, here it feels like everything. You are like, tourist, you're American. Before yeah, I was going to say that, actually. When I was in London, we were in an elevator, and they were talking. I was at Shortage House, and I was, these people were like, Americans are so annoying. And I just, like, didn't speak in the elevator. <laughs> like, they were like, they're so loud and annoying. And I was like... Like, they literally, the elevator door closed, and they're like, they're so obnoxious. Which is honestly something I... I feel so I felt validated I think the American personality is to like have a lot of bravado and be very like outgoing and I'm very outgoing but I'm not loud I find that most Americans in general are loud and they think that everyone needs to hear what they're saying and so I actually although I felt awkward as an American like identified with that comment because we like to be heard and seen yeah and sometimes you should say less so I actually (laughs) did feel really validated I wanted to move abroad but the way the money is set up is like a whole different comment. Like my paycheck decreases by a, a large crazy. percent. It is crazy. That's why I'm back here. Yeah, I won't be. Yeah, I maybe like a little stint, but like I can't. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I need that money. Yeah. So, okay, we talked a lot about like your upbringing and college, now post-grad life. What do you think, like if you were to have kids today, would you mm-hmm. raise them in a similar way that you were raised or would you flip the whole thing? Well, first of all, I would make my baby start coding out of the moon. Okay. <laughs> baby, your baby's the next Mark Zuckerberg. Great. Okay. Um, but will I have like this prescribed childhood that I found myself having? More likely than not. Okay. First of all, I'm not so sure I'm gonna have kids. Um, but if I did, well, so some let's talk about my mom's child rearing strategy. Great. Loved it. It's gonna take me very far in life. But you know how a lot of people will be like, oh, my mom, she's my best friend. Yeah. That is not the case. My mother is my mother. The same. And that is the start and stop of our relationship. Yeah. And sadly, I feel that I did miss out a little bit on that. And it would be nice to have a little bit more of a more casual, I don't know if casual is the right word. And so my mom, as obviously I'm starting to get older, I'm settled, she doesn't like you to worry about me, it'll be all right in life. She has started to try and take on this more friend role. Yeah. And I just don't know how to deal with it. Oh my God. My sister and I talk about this all the time. My mom wants the tea sometimes. And we're like, we're so used to not giving you, you the tea. Any sort of tea from you. Right. So now I'm like, you want to you wanna talk about it? I don't know if I can yeah. talk about it. Like, you really want me to be honest? <laughs> I think it's hard for me too, because the case is developing. And I feel like to bring something to my mom, who is not my best friend, but I love her very much, like... I feel like it needs to be, like, rock solid. So, if I, I'm not going to call my mom and be like, yeah, I like went on a date with this dude. Like, I've kind of started to do more of that, like, very edited version of, like, I went on a date with this guy and this happened. But, like, I never talked about dating. To your point about not having that kind of relationship, I'm just not sure. I just don't know how to do it. Like, it's been, like, 25 years of her being just so far up my ass. And, like, yeah. nonetheless, an incredible parent, an incredible mother. But, like, not in that dynamic. And I do yeah. not. So, yeah, to respond to your question, uh... I think I would take my mom's strategy. Uh, I think it's a very good parenting strategy. I think, and sadly, it's one of those things like you know what you know. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. One of those things. And I've seen the other approaches, like the cool mom approach. No, I've seen it turn out well, I've seen it turn out bad. You probably take the same approach. So you're gonna take the same approach. Maybe some edits, but like uh, base- also maybe the idea is that my mom sets me up on a trajectory. Yeah. That I don't have to necessarily follow the same steps that Correct. she did, right? Yeah. That makes sense. Like, I think it's... I feel similarly. I want the sim- I want a similar approach to what my parents did. I think they did a lot right. Um, I think I would just take some edits. Like, I think my parents always said yes to any activity I wanted to be in. I like, I'm like, I want to try tennis. I don't play basketball. I want to take cooking classes. Mm-hmm. Like, anything I came up with to do. I want to go to summer camp. They were like, sure, Shelby, go. Mm-hmm. And... I love that. They didn't really say no to me. And I think I was able to hone in on my interests and like, they let me be me mm. and they gave me a long leash also. Like oh. they were strict. Like if you broke the trust, then it was quiet for you. But like, you <laughs> got to, I got to try a lot and like be out in the world kind of experiencing things away from them. So I just think that was paramount and I would do that for my kids if I have them. But I think what I would pay more attention to is like, who's in those environments and like, how does that inform who my kid will become? Because as my parents like don't socialize with white people that often outside of work, why am I only talking to white? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, by the time we have kids, luckily the state of the world will be in where it's a much more rainbow society where like you don't necessarily have to pick 
one of the other in your communities? I, I hope so. I think it gives, I think that's where class comes in. I think people like black people who have means. So I think yes. that's like why we're even able to have this conversation. Like yeah. I realize the privilege of the conversation is like, we have educated parents who had professional jobs. So I think my hope is that my kids, I don't want their access to be tied to me all the time. I want the world to see them a little more optically. That's very idealistic, but that's I think- not how it works though, No, right? I know, I know, but I think, <laughs> I think that's what I struggle with with the whole kids thing is like, sure, our kids are gonna be fine. We're fine in our 20s. You yeah. and I are fine <laughs> right now. Uh, so of course, like, I mean, marriage is like a very important decision, but like if you marry someone who's in a similar spot, you're good. It's, it's, it's all written. It's written. It's fine. I just don't want my kids to be like, we're the chosen ones. I hate that. I hate that vibe of like, these black people are the chosen ones. Because it's like, yeah. Like, so what do we do with the other black people then? Yeah. Like, and then people start talking about those other black people, which has always made me uncomfortable. Like, oh, those people are ghetto, but not you. What's the, what's the greatest, one of the greatest great graphics of all time? There's a difference between black people. I mean, literally, and, like, that's, and then that's literally, and I'm like, we can say that at our house, right. but like when white people basically say that to me, I'm not sure how right. to proceed yeah. because like as a person with a black family, there are people in my family who don't have what my parents had or their parents have. So like, what am I, are you going to be talking about my cousin? I don't really know. Like I can talk about my sister like that. You can't talk about my sister. Right. Like it's not a vibe. It's not giving what you think it's giving. Like it's not, I don't want people like that of like, I'm giving you an award and I think it's easy to like, I'm differentiating you. Right. And it's easy to let your ego ride that wave, but like that's not healthy nor is it conducive to you having relationships with other black people. Like I'm going to try to give my kids some more diversity. It'll probably be the same childhood spiced up. And yeah, I also, I, yeah, I think diversity in all things in life, like, whether that just, like, diversity of, like, like, class, I think it's very important, like, oh, well, well, so like full spectrum. 100% that. My last question is, do you ever talk about these things with your white friends? Or your mom, honestly. Mother, for sure, no. Yes, definitely my white friends. Not all of them. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> I would actually say I would, my white female friends, I think I broach these topics with mm -hmm. more. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely broach them more with my white female friends than uh, my white male friends. Not binary, it's not one or the other. There is a little bit of a mix. Uh, but it's definitely more on the female side. And I think that is maybe just due to like classic male culture. Yeah. Maybe like just staying, not going too deep level one. Yeah. On like certain personal issues. What's their response? So you know, it kind of goes unfortunately back to the whole Libra thing of me like to make people feel comfortable. Uh, yeah. And we'll have a real conversation, right? And maybe at the end of it, be like, the class thing, like the class of white ally things. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's also really my favorite. That's an SNL skit. It's like very fucked up. It says something like mildly racist, like a little bit after. Um, oh, yeah, it's fucked up. That's so fucked up the way, the way the country is. That's just so fucked up. Yeah, and I'm just like, yeah, that's the end of the conversation. Ah, that's just so, fucked up. so that's the extent. They just, like, they are acknowledging that but it's. They acknowledge its existence. But I feel like it's very rare that they acknowledge their involvement in the day. Thank you so much, Audie, for sharing so much of your childhood, current life, formative years with us, and I loved having you on the podcast. Love being here, Shelby. This was a fantastic experience for me, and uh, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Define Normal. If you like the episode or have any feedback for me, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Define Normal. See you next week.